You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen. Those testimony times never get old, right? I never, I didn't know we were doing baptisms uh, this weekend, but I'm glad I didn't know because the surprise was kind of amazing. And uh, I just want to say, if you are here and you're not a believer, you've heard the name of Jesus Christ a whole bunch of times. And if you're sort of wondering, you know, what is going on here and what does, like, who is Jesus and what does he actually mean, then I encourage you to, like, talk to somebody. There's people in green shirts. There'll be people here at the front after. And just ask about Jesus. Don't be sort of leaving wondering, right? This is an opportunity for you to meet and hear about the most unique person to have ever walked the earth. So don't sort of miss out on that opportunity. So my name is Marvin. As Pastor Paul said, I am planting a church uh, in the next little bit. We are hoping for that church to sort of launch in, uh, in 2019, somewhere in there, just trusting the Lord to sort uh, that out. My wife, her name is Kim. She was here in the first service. Uh, my boys uh, and her, they've headed home because one guy was freaking out. And so he's tired and he was just like, I'm done, dad. He literally said that. And, uh, and so said, okay. And so they sort of headed off. Uh, their names are, their, uh, the, the boys are five. I'm trying to get this right. Four. And uh, uh, two. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we have another guy on the way in, uh, in September. Uh, so we are busy. You know what I'm saying? So just be like praying for us and stuff. Because that's, uh, it's just crazy at home. You know? Uh, so you get tackled at the kneecaps all the time. Um, and their names are Zion. That's the oldest guy. He's five. River and Eiffel. And uh, so we have no idea what to name the other guy. So pray for us, because his, his brothers have strange names, so we got to figure out a strange name for this guy. Um, so just be uh, praying for us. And yeah, so the church plant, so it's going to be sort of in the uh, Yorkdale uh, area, so I try to tell people, you know, between Dufferin and Young Street and sort of anywhere, sort of in there, just trust in the Lord to sort of sort it out. And uh, this is the neighborhood that I lived in when my family immigrated from Jamaica, when we came here, my, uh, my mom came before me, and then I came sort of after her, and uh, so I know the neighborhood really well, and uh, I've, I said this in sort of each of the services, this is a neighborhood that I've always wanted to avoid, right? I was living there, and I was looking for how to get out of there as fast as possible, and God is so good to us that he just takes you back what you, where you're avoiding, right? And so he's brought us back here. Uh, we took some time to really pray and ask God, like, sh where should we plant this church? And uh, it was my wife and, uh, and uh, Pastor Jason Matta at Toronto West that were really sort of like, this is the neighborhood, Marv, you know? And because uh, I was like, what's the easy thing that we can do, you know? And uh, Kim was like, no, 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 like, this is where we should go. A very unique neighborhood. There's, there's a mix of affluence and, and, and a lot of poverty. And uh, sort of mixed in there. And well, we really want to be about the community. That's why we're, we're going there. We want to have powerful services like the one we are experiencing right now and have experienced in the last two. But then we also want to be a real presence in the commu community where we're really helping people and walking with them, both in a spiritual sense and in a practical sense as well, because that's a real need uh, there. So if you can just be praying for us to stay the course, Right, uh, just to, to pray and trust that God is going to send the people he wants in the right time. Uh, just really pray for that. And then pray for endurance for Kim 
and I, we are, we are trying to figure out where to live and everything like that. It's a very sort of expensive uh, area. So just pray for endurance for us and that God would provide a place. And then also pray that the church would actually launch. Right? We're, we are excited about this and everything like that. But if God doesn't do it, it's not happening. Right? So it's not about me and my abilities or whatever it is. There's nothing special about me. There's, it's Jesus. And there's something special and unique about him. That's where we're going. And if we aren't dependent on God and asking him, nothing's going to happen. So please just be praying in those ways. All right. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John. Uh, John chapter 4. That is our text uh, uh, today. And uh, when we are excited about something, uh, we talk about it. Right? I'm excited about this church plan. I'm excited about uh, the baby that we're going to have in the next little while. And, and I, I talk about those things. It doesn't take very long if you are with me to realize. He's excited about this because I verbalize it. Right? When you're excited about something, you talk about it. When you're excited about an upcoming vacation, you're excited about a new job. Maybe you, you, know, you, you just sort of you got married and you're excited about that. Maybe there's a baby on the way. You got your first home. Whatever it is, when you are excited, you speak. You share with other people. Now, if you're a Christian, the most exciting thing in your life is Jesus Christ. There's nothing more exciting going on for you. I don't care what has happened this week. There's nothing more exciting in your life than Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. As I say that, I know there are times in my life when I am not as excited about Jesus as I should be. That the, the excitement about him is just not sort of flowing out of my life. And that's because there's all kinds of things that come in throughout the week and throughout the months and whatever it is that is just pulling my attention away from Jesus. And so then that excitement kind of gets sucked away. But do you know what happens when I slow down and I get my eyes on Jesus? When I slow down and I think, even as I'm sitting there watching these baptisms and I'm hearing about Je the things that Jesus does, when I slow down and I get my eyes back on Jesus, the excitement comes back. And the excitement comes back because I realize that there is no one like Jesus. That there's no one like him. And I realize that Jesus can do for me, that Jesus can do for you what no one else can do. That no one else can do in your life what Jesus Christ can do. And so this excitement comes back. And I've been praying. I was praying yesterday. I was praying as I was sitting over there. And I've been praying that as we go through John chapter 4, that the Spirit of God, because I can't do this. The Holy Spirit has to do this in you. That he would stir fresh excitement in your heart about Jesus that there would be a joy and a, and a love for Jesus and a, that would come to you, that would come to your heart for one reason, so that you would tell other people about Jesus. Yet your heart would be stirred so much that there would be such a passion that you would leave this room and you would engage in missions. You would engage in evangelism. You would tell other people about this special, beautiful, powerful, loving, giving, faithful, committed person who gave all for us. 
And so I'm going to pray that the Spirit would do that as we open the Word. So Father, we thank you for uh, your Spirit who, who, who loves and guides us, Lord, who you have given. Jesus says that I go, but I, I'm sending the Helper to be with you, who will guide you into truth. And not only guide, but also give us the power to do, Lord, what is said. Thank you for your word and that it speaks to us. I pray now that you would open our ears and our hearts and that you would speak, Lord, and we would listen and that we would go from here and do what you're calling us to do. And Lord, I pray for that person who has heard so much about Jesus already. Thank you for those powerful testimonies of your work. I pray for them, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and save them, Father, that today would be the day that they would turn to your son. Please help us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So John 4, uh, in the first four verses, we're told that, that Jesus is on his way to Galilee. But as he's on his way, he, he goes through Samaria. He's tired, though, as he is on his way. And so we find him, it says here, resting, sitting by the well. Verse 6 says that he was sitting by the well. See, Jesus in his humanity here is tired. He's hungry and he is thirsty. Jesus is like that hardworking man or woman who comes home after just a long day and is just looking for a place to sort of plop down and recover. And so we find him resting. And so we'll pick it up there in verse 6. It says, Jacob well, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus here is sitting by the well and this woman comes. And then as he sees her, he says, give me a drink. But she's surprised that he would talk to her. She's like, how, how is it that you, a Jew, is speaking to me? She's shocked that he even speaks to her. And that's because, that's because Jews and Samaritans didn't deal with one another. Jews and Samaritans avoided one another. This is a, this is a group of people who were divided on, along racial and religious lines. And so they never interacted with. A Jew thought if you interacted with a Samaritan, you would actually become unclean. And so, so there's barriers here between them. But notice here that Jesus isn't allowing that barrier to stop him from speaking to this woman. So she is surprised that he is talking to her, but she, he answers her in a way that she is not expecting. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Here's point one. Jesus is the one who satisfies. He satisfies those who come to him. Verse 10, he says, 
If you knew the gift of God and who is this saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he says this to her, but from her response, it's clear that she actually misunderstands Jesus. She misunderstands. She thinks Jesus is talking about physical water. That's why she says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. But Jesus here is not talking about physical water. He is talking about spiritual water. The water that he alone can give her. No one else can give this to her. Water that will satisfy her for all times. That's why he says everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He says the water from this well will only satisfy you for so long. You'll be thirsty again. And he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. So Jesus says, I, I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritual water. Now the water here that he is referencing is actually the Holy Spirit. That is what he is talking about. John 7, verse, verses 38 to 39 says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. That is the gift of God. The Holy Spirit is the gift that Jesus Christ wants to give her. The Holy Spirit is the living water that can satisfy her for all time. See, the Spirit can satisfy the woman in Samaria. The, city, the, the Spirit can satisfy the person who is in this city and any person beyond. That is the gift of God. That is the the, the gift that Jesus Christ wants to give her and will give her. See, this is a woman who has, has a real issue in her heart. This is a woman who has been longing and searching for satisfaction for a very long time. She has been going to all the wells that are available to her, but she has not been finding lasting satisfaction. She has been going to these wells, but she has been coming up empty, thirsty and thirsty and thirsty. She is not being satisfied. You're like, how do you know? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. What you see here is a woman who, is, who has had a chain of unfulfilling relationships. She has gone to the well. She is searching for a husband, someone who would be good to her and committed to her, but she is coming up empty. She is not finding the satisfaction that she is looking for. Here is a woman who has been longing to be known and accepted. Here is a woman who's also dealing with the issue of rejection. She is longing for somebody to know her and accept her in, in, the, in the fullest and truest sense. But she is being rejected. See, you know she is dealing with rejection when you actually just think through the culture and the time in which this is happening. This is a time where when women went to go to draw water, they would go in groups. It's also a time where, where if they went to draw water, they would go in the morning. But what do you know about, notice about this woman? 
She's alone. She's also there, it says, at the sixth hour. That's 12 o'clock. She's there at the hottest point in the day all by herself. And the reason why is because she's avoiding the people in the town. When she says, like, give me this water so I don't have to come here, she's like, I don't want to come here anymore because if I, 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 I have to sort of go out of my way to get here to do this, I got to walk in all these ways so no one sees me. I am completely by myself because the people in the town looked down on her. The people in the town judged her. The people in the town, who if they're honest, had all kinds of sin going on in their life. And this is the thing about judging others. And this is the thing that we've got to watch in our own life. So often when we stare at people and look at them, we're like, wow, I wouldn't do that with my life. And we start judging them and watching the way that they live. We're often missing the fact that there's all kinds of mess going on in our life. We are so busy looking at, as Jesus would say, the speck in people's eyes that we are missing the log in our own. That is the danger of judging other people. And we're, we are called not to do that. Judgment belongs to the Lord. My job is to look at my own life and ask myself, how am I doing? How is it going for me? How am I doing with the Lord? How's that going? Not staring at other people and wondering, watching how they live their lives. The people judged this woman. And so she avoided them. But notice here, Jesus is doing none of that. He is not judging her. He is not rejecting her. He is about to satisfy her deepest longing. See, Jesus knows all of the details of her life. He, he speaks it. He knows all the details of her life. He knows all of the messiness that has gone on caused by sin. But he is not judging and pushing this woman away. He is inviting her in. He is loving her and what's interesting is that this longing to be known and accepted that this woman experiences is actually true of us too. That when we are honest, we long that people would know us fully and completely and that they would accept us. But we fear, we fear, we fear putting ourselves out there. We think if people knew me, if they knew all of the details of my life, if they knew the mess in my past, if they knew my current mess, that they would reject me. And so we don't put ourselves out there, but we don't have to be that way with Jesus Christ. Jesus knows all of the mess in my life. Jesus knows all of the mess in your life. And although he knows all of that mess, Jesus doesn't say, you know, stay away, Marv. He says, come here. He invites us in into this warm, loving embrace. He takes us with all of our mess. And then you know what he does? He begins his work, his powerful work of change and transformation in our lives. And then, knowing that we have this love and acceptance from Jesus Christ, you know what starts to happen? We are given gospel freedom. And so now you and I can put ourselves out there. We don't have to avoid people anymore. We can say, you know what? Here is, this is me. This is all me. And yes, if, when you know all of me, you may reject me, but that does not matter to me anymore because I have acceptance from Jesus Christ and his acceptance is the only acceptance that matters. And Jesus says that his love for us will never change. 
This is the danger of chasing the acceptance of people. We live in this culture, right? We post something and like, we want them to like it. We're just looking for their acceptance. But the thing they like this week, they might hate the next week. The person who tells you that they love you this week might tell you that they're not feeling like that anymore. That never happens with Jesus. He says, I love you. He says, the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That speaks of God's commitment to you from the day you put your faith in him to the day, like she said in the tank, you see him face to face where you are told that we will be made like him. And enter into joy for all eternity. The acceptance of Jesus Christ is the only acceptance that matters. And when we have it, it gives us the freedom to just be out there and be in community. Because we know we have the love of our Savior and that all, that's all that matters. And it will not change. And so Jesus here satisfies her longing for acceptance. And then he deals with her confusion about worship. Look at verse 19. It says the woman... The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so Jesus uh, is, is saying here that the Samaritans and the Jews, they disagreed on where and how we are to worship God. And he says to the woman that the Jews actually have it right. He says they're right. But he also says, it doesn't matter anymore. And he says, because I'm here, the true temple, I have tabernacled among you. It says, John says that earlier, that he is here. And Jesus says, and I'm calling all people to worship God in spirit and truth anywhere at all times, because God is everywhere. That means we can worship him in this room. We can worship him in the parking lot. We can worship him in our car. We can worship him in the mall because he is with us all times. And we do that in spirit-led ways and we do that in truth, meaning we sing and worship what is true about God, what is true about us, what is true about the gospel. And we do that anywhere. See, she was confused about where and how to worship. We get confused about what to worship. We get confused about what to worship. Missions exist because so much wrong worship exists. Everyone is worshiping all the time. All the time. We get up and what starts happening is worship. All the time. We're always worshiping. The question we've got to ask is, is my worship oriented in the right direction? Is my worship oriented towards the right person? Am I worshiping Jesus Christ all the time? Or am I worshiping myself? Or am I worshiping something else? We are always worshiping. Our longing for satisfaction, our longing to be fulfilled makes us worship things that are not God. Because we long to be satisfied, we turn to things that are not God. And this started in Genesis chapter 3. It's not new. This is an old thing. Adam and Eve, 
when they chose to worship themselves, when they chose to worship independence, when they got convinced that they could live their life without God, that they could figure it out all on their own. And ever since then, every single person, that's what they get into. Wrong worship. Many people worship at the well of money. People worship at the well of image. They worship at the well of independence, of fashion, sex, education, power, fame, all of these things. And we go to these things thinking that they're going to satisfy us. We go to these things thinking that they can be messiahs. And do you know what often happens? We get these moments of pleasure and then it's fleeting. It's fleeting. We go to it and like, oh, I've, I feel, I feel, I feel like I'm satisfied. And then you, you know, give it a little bit and you feel empty again. And so what do you do? You keep going back to the well. You keep going back thinking you're going to find it, but we will not be satisfied in these things. These things cannot save us. They cannot be our messiahs. The only one who can save and satisfy us and give us lasting, lasting satisfaction is Jesus Christ, the true Messiah. Verse 25 says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, and he. The woman's statement reminds us that all people, that we're all longing for a savior. We're all, long when we look at the world that we live in, when we see the brokenness, when we see the pain, when we see the oppression, when we see the racism, when we see the confusion politically, when we see the wars that go on between people, when we see that there's moments in our life where we can be worshiping God and then in a day we're doing something that totally makes no sense we start to realize something is wrong. Something is wrong here. This needs to be fixed. This level of brokenness cannot continue to go on and on like this. And we start to realize that I am actually not the one who can fix this. Right? Superhero movies are always touching into this desire, this longing for a savior. Don't you notice it's always someone who comes from outside of us with this unique ability in order to rescue us. That's why we go to them. It, it speaks to this desire. We are like, that feels like what I want. Someone who can just do something that's superhuman, that is powerful, that is just unique. And, and we, we are drawn to this. We realize we need someone to come from outside of us. Well, that person is Jesus Christ, and he has come. And he has done that thing for us that we all need, that living, dying on the cross, rising on the Thursday, and then showing that sin has been paid for, and then promising that there's a day coming where he is coming for us, and that all things, not some things, all things are going to be made new. And again, we will be made like him, and we will get to enjoy being with our Father. This sojourn that we are on will not stay this way forever. Jesus promises that. Jesus says to her, the Savior, the King, the one you have been longing for, he says, I who speak to you am He. He can satisfy and meet all of our needs. F.F. Bruce said this, The soul's deepest thirst is for God himself who made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. That whole 
that is in our heart, that people try to stuff all kinds of things in looking for satisfaction, that hole is meant for God. And you can continue to go to all of these wells thinking you are going to be satisfied, but until you turn and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will never have satisfaction. You are going to keep going to that thing, and you're going to continue to come up empty. But God in his grace tells us these things in his word so that we can turn and find that satisfaction by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is why missions is so important. This is why we are going to plant this church because we know that there's all kinds of people in that Yorkdale neighborhood who are longing for satisfaction, who are trying and desperately to find satisfaction in all kinds of things that cannot satisfy, but we know the one who can satisfy them. And so we go. We are going to tell them about Jesus Christ who can meet all of their needs. And as we go, as you go from here into whatever places God is taking you, as you go, we can follow the example of Jesus Christ when we go to talk about Jesus Christ. What do you notice here that Jesus is very gentle with this woman? Notice he, he speaks the truth, but he does it in love. He is never harsh with her. He never, he never makes her feel small. He never shames her. The conversation never gets ugly. See, sometimes we, when we engage in missions, it makes it so that people never want to talk to us again. We go out and we, sh- and we share our faith, and then no one wants to talk to us again. Why? Because sometimes we go out and we think we're out to win an argument. Sharing our faith and telling people about Jesus Christ isn't about winning an argument. It's about telling people about the greatest person who has ever walked the earth who has done so much. See, Jesus is gentle and loving and caring to this woman because when he looks at her, he sees a person. He sees an image bearer of God. Someone who is dealing with the difficulties and the pain of sin. And Christians, sometimes we lose sight of this. We go out and we're talking to people about Jesus and we stop seeing a flesh and blood person. And we just start seeing someone who we should beat in an argument. There was a girl in the 915 getting baptized. She said, it just blessed me to hear that because I'm like, I need to be like that. She said she was sitting on a bench somewhere in like a, a country, Hong Kong, thank you, in Hong Kong. And someone just sat next to her on a bench and said, can I tell you about Jesus? Not, want to have an argument? <laughs> can I tell you about the Savior? Just that simple. And I, you know, I guarantee you part of the reason that conversation went on was the level of love she felt from the person sitting next to her. And so we go and we do it in love. But what happens, what we need to do is pray and ask the Spirit to give us a heart of compassion, to give us a heart of tenderness, to give us a heart of gentleness, to give us a heart that sees people as people, another human being who is dealing with the issues and brokenness of life, who needs to hear about the Savior, not someone who we need to shame, not someone who we need to defeat in an argument. So we share with love, upholding people's dignity so that they go from talking to us and they tell other people to come talk to us but because they feel such compassion. And so Jesus here is speaking to this woman and the disciples return. 
Verse 27 says, just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Notice it says that the disciples marveled that Jesus was talking to a woman. They're actually in shock. And the reason why they're in shock is because rabbis in those times thought it was a waste of time to talk to women. They thought you were, you were wasting your time. There's one rabbi, as I was like sort of studying and getting ready to teach this message, he, who said, like, if you talk too long with a woman, you actually would go to hell. That's dumb. Right? You'd like, I'd like to meet that guy. Let's have a talk. Jesus here in speaking to this woman is actually breaking away from the sexism that was actually really around him. See, when you read the Gospels, what you will find is that Jesus treated women differently. That Jesus treated women well. Jesus is dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus is dying for all the ways that we just can always are thinking about ourselves. And you know what Jesus, as he's dying, he's thinking about his mother. He makes sure that his mother gets looked after into old age. You read through and, and Mary and Martha come and, and Mary is at his feet. Do you know what Jesus does? He teaches her. Rabbis wouldn't have done that either. He disciples her so that she can turn around and disciple other people. When you watch his ministry, Jesus is going out of his way to include women in what is happening. What Jesus is doing is that he's modeling for us the way we are to treat the women in our lives. The women who come in and out of our church. Jesus is modeling for us the dignity and worth of women. And we are to follow that. See, what we need to know is that God gives us all roles to play. That is true. But if we are going to fulfill the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment, it takes all of us. Men and women going and saying, come and see the Savior. And so as men, we and all of us really need to think through the way we treat the women in our lives, upholding their dignity and worth. Jesus shows that to us. So the disciples come back and she runs off in her excitement. Look at verse 28. It says, so the woman, so the woman left her water jar. She's not even worried about drawing water anymore. She leaves her water jar and runs in. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out from the town and were coming to him. She says, come and see. Come and see. Here's point number two. Jesus is the one who sends he sends. The disciples come back and they try to get Jesus to eat something. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? They're like, did he get something from Tim's? <laughs> They're wondering, like, did he get any food? See, Jesus here is saying that doing his father's will is like food to him. His body was actually nourished by helping this woman. His concern for her spiritual needs made it so that his physical needs were coming second. Philippians 2, Jesus modeling Philippians 2, says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. When seeing people come to faith in Christ is your passion, when missions is your passion, when evangelism becomes your passion, there are times in your life, not every time, but there are times in your life where your physical needs will come second because you're so concerned about the spiritual needs of others. Fulfilling his father's will was the most important thing to Jesus. He was committed to this. He was committed to the needs of others. His commitment to meeting the needs of others is what led him to the cross, where he gave all for us and died for our sins. And that's why in John 19.30, he can say, it is finished. And his finished work on the cross made it possible for us to enter into a relationship with our Father. Jesus is completely committed in these ways. So he clarifies his priorities and then he wants his disciples to know that the times they're in are unique. Look at verse 35. It says, do you not say that there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reap is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. He says, these are unique times. Sowing and reaping happen together, Jesus says here. And that's, he wants them to get busy into the work. He says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Another translation says, ready for harvest. He's trying to get them to wake up. Then that's why he also says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages. Jesus is trying to motivate them. See, what you have here is that the disciples are very distracted. Their focus is off, right? They're the kid in the back of the classroom just kind of staring out the window. Do, 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 do. Paying, not paying attention. Jesus is trying to say, look. He's literally saying, look at the people coming out of the town. They're ready for this. Get your focus right. See, Jesus here is trying to motivate them. He's trying to get them to be urgent. He wanted urgency in his disciples then, and he wants urgency in his disciples now. Don't you remember when you first put faith in Christ, that fire that was there? You just wa- you wanted to be out and telling people. But what happens? It kind of goes quiet a little bit. And the text here is stirring us and saying these are the times to get involved in the work. The fields are ready. He wants us out gathering, he says, the fruit of eternal life. See, missions isn't an option for some. It's a mandate given to all of us. And for some people, that means we're going to get on a plane, we're going to fly somewhere far. But for many of us, it just means being faithful, a faithful witness in our neighborhood and our city. And verse 38 reminds us that we all have different roles to play. It says, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Jesus, the disciples here, They're benefiting from the labor of other people. This is a time of reaping. But you might get into a a spot where there might need to be some sowing going on. But you, you may not actually see the results of that. Somebody else may come and reap that. But what we've got to know is that faithful 
evangelism, faithful missions is just telling people about Jesus Christ and leaving the results to the Holy Spirit. It's not on us. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, my Jamaican accent almost came out, tree, I planted, (laughs) Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's on God. Our job is to faithfully spread the seed and water and trust that God is going to do it. And then we will all rejoice together in his success. Now this conversation between the disciples and Jesus almost makes you forget about the woman. Right? It's like a little sandwich. It starts with her, it's going to end with her. You almost forget about her, but she is running like Usain Bolt. There's another Jamaican reference. Into town to tell other people about Jesus. And her witness is effective. Look at verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from the town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Here's our final point. Jesus is the one who saves. Who saves. Her testimony is powerful. She goes into town, and she shares, and then people are streaming out to the town to hear. And this reminds us that one of the things that that the Lord uses to draw people to his son is our testimony. Our testimony is important. And I know some people think that my testimony, you know, it's kind of, meh. It's not messy. And so sometimes, like, sometimes we hear testimony and we hear people and, and, and when it's really messy, we're like, Wow. And we hear someone who's like, I was born in a Christian family, right? My parents loved me. They shared the gospel with me. And we're like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) As if that one isn't as powerful as the one that's like, yeah, I was addicted to this and all that sort of stuff. Like, that is more powerful. It's not. See, every testimony is powerful, And every testimony is messy, no matter how clean it sounds. Because even that person who was born in a Christian family was born in sin. And at some point in their life, they realized, I sinned against God. But that God in his grace did not turn his back on me. That God in his grace turned his face towards me and that he sent his son to live and die to pay for my sins. I realized that and I turned and I trusted in Jesus Christ. And so if you're wondering, is your testimony powerful? Yes. Whether you were four years old when that happened at your mom's knee or you were 42 years old coming off of a drug high. It's powerful. And so you're like, should I share my testimony? Yes. Because God showed you grace, no matter when or how it happened. And so it is powerful. And so you share trusting and letting God use it in however he wants in people's lives. And so these people come to Jesus and they ask him to stay a while. And look what happens. Verse 41, and many more believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
It says here, many more believed. And notice that, it's, that they believed because of his word. See, our testimony can draw people to Jesus, but our testimony doesn't save people. What saves people is a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's what happened for this woman, and that's what happened for the people in the town. They had a personal encounter with Jesus that led to a firm conviction and commitment to Jesus and a firm conviction and commitment about who Jesus is. Notice they say, we have heard for ourselves, personal, and we believe that this is the Savior of the world. Jesus here reaps a harvest among the Samaritans, and it's to show that Jesus Christ came for all people, that Jesus is going to save people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, but part of that happening is us being faithful in going and telling others about Christ. The people from the town are drinking from the well of living water, all because of this woman. All because of this woman who was willing to go. She said, come and see. Come and see the one who can do for you, the one who has done for me what no one else can do. And you got to think about this woman. Think about where we started with her. She was full of fear. She was full of shame. She did not want to see people. She didn't want to talk to people. She avoided people. But what do you notice about this woman? There's no shame. There's boldness and there's courage. And so you're like, what took her from here to here? From the spot of fear and shame to a spot of courage and joy and saying, come see the Savior. How did she get from here to there? The reason why she can go from here to there is because she knows she is loved and accepted. She knows she has the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ, and so she no longer needs the love and acceptance of anyone else because she has the love and acceptance that will never change. And that love frees her because Jesus gave her a new heart, and he put the Spirit in that heart, and that is what's making this happen. See, don't, you don't have here a woman who's just trying really hard. What you have here is someone who is resting in the truth and the beauty of what it means to be satisfied, loved, saved by Jesus Christ, walking in the Holy Spirit, being bold. This is what Jesus does in our lives. He takes us from this place of fear and messiness to a place of a little bit of messiness still, because we're not perfect but of courage and boldness and transformation working in our lives. This woman here, she steps out of her comfort zone. She lets the spirit lead. She goes out of her comfort zone, and you know what happens? Many more believed because of her faithful witness. Many more. Her, her willingness, her bold, her courage actually leads to a chain reaction. It says more believed, then more believed, than more believed. She is an example for us. She's an example that when we step out of our comfort zone, when we willingly go, that we will see many people drinking from the well of living water. 
Many more will believe. Many will experience the satisfaction that they have been longing for. I love this quote from the book, God's Missionary People. The author says, when we, we are sent out to make disciples of others, the church is not an exclusive club of privilege, neither it is a place of rest from our labor. We have been brought in so that we may gather others into this kingdom of grace. We are brought in, saved, promise a future and a hope. Love those lines too. But now we are called to go out and gather others into the kingdom of this grace. We are, Peter says this, we are standing in grace. And what would it look like if we all caught a vision to say, we want to see other people experience this grace? And do you know what helps us to catch this vision? When we stop and think and remember that in the gospel that we have been saved, that we have been satisfied by Jesus Christ, and that we have been sent by Jesus Christ so that others would experience this grace. Gathering the fruit of eternal life. That's what we're called to. So that other people can have Jesus do for them what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that we are standing in grace. Lord, even if today is a hard day for some, we are still in grace because we have your son. We have the one thing we need more than anything else, our salvation. We have satisfaction, Lord, in you. And Father, I pray that you would give us, Lord, such a heart for the lost, that you would give us a heart of compassion to see others experiencing this grace. Thank you for your son who is our savior, who gave all for us. And I pray you would give us the power now to go out and to be bold and to share our faith so that we can, we can see other people experiencing from Christ what we have experienced. So you... Lord, in your son can do for them what you have done for us. Give us a heart for this, Lord. Help us, we pray. Wake us up to this. In Jesus' name, amen.